I mean, you're not exactly a sexual maverick, and that's fine. You know, prunes are people, too. I want to know your secret. Tell me. My dad died when I was a senior in high school. And this boy showed up to the funeral. His name was Chris. And I guess he was the spitting image of my father 30 years younger. My mom thought she saw a ghost. And it turned out he was my half-brother. That's that's your whole secret, that your, your dad had an affair? No. Okay, can you just tell me your secret? Come on. Spill it, dark side. So, Chris, it was too late for him to drive home, so he stayed over. We stayed up all night talking. And my dad was, my dad was really the person who understood me. And he was gone, so I was alone, alone for the first time. But he sees me, you know? Like, he really sees me. And we just stared at each other for the longest time. You can't be too drunk in my house not to finish the story. What happened? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so... I don't know. Maybe it's not so racy where you're from, but... Stop avoiding. I, Tell me what happened. We stood there for the longest time. Uh -huh. So I went in to hug him and we kissed. I know. It's so gross. The end? Yeah. You just kissed? Yeah, we kissed. You just kissed your your your, your brother? Yeah. It's so... Like, it's, like, ugh, it's so lurid. It's my half-brother. It's not my brother, but it's... It's ugh. your half-brother, though? It's oh, my... Okay. It's, but yeah, there's more. No. Mm -hmm. No, there's no more. No, no, yeah, there is. Mm. So. You fucked him. What? Was he good? That is so disgusting. I don't know. Oh, you didn't fuck him? I don't. Tell me you didn't fuck him. I don't know what goes swear. on in your. I swear. Swear on your dad's grave. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike, and we wrap up our month with the 2018 film, A Simple Favor by Paul Feig. Now, when I first watched this film, I was so high on it. It blended a lot of different genres. You've got crime, thriller, uh, smutty pulp, comedy, 
a lot of things happening, meshing together in an extremely entertaining two hours. What was your first reaction to this film? This was uh, my birthday movie for that particular year. So it released on my birthday. I made a big point to my wife that that's how I wanted to spend my birthday with her, of course, but also Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick. You know, let's just make this perfect. And I think she was a little intrigued that uh, I was so fucking pumped for what looked like, I guess, a chick flick in a certain regard. Certainly the aesthetic, uh, I think, is they're they're leaning into uh, this is one for the ladies. And I'm not saying there's not crossover appeal. I think Bridesmaids did the same thing. I mean, obviously for comedy, but, you know, the the poster is, and, and really the trailer for Bridesmaids was watch these women behave badly, just like the boys have done in comedies for, I don't know, ever. A simple favor, like, just look at the, the dress on the poster. Just look at this, you know, they're, they're, the, the drinks on hand, the, the sort of pop art, sort of pink and blue coloring. I don't think... My wife really even knew what it was about. I was looking at it as this could be really good or it could be really bad, depending on how broad they play the uh, the sort of Gone Girl elements, which seemed to be what they were uh, having fun with, that whole uh, mysterious woman, uh, wronged woman, uh, missing woman sort of subgenre that really came up in the last, I don't know, decade, I guess. Actually, maybe before. We can go back to Ashley Judd. Her her uh, series of films were more <laughs> her getting vengeance for her wrongs, and um, this one, this one not so much. Now I've seen this a few times. This is on if you have followed me on Letterboxd at Projecting Film. I've only been keeping up with it for the last couple of years, and so my personal Criterion collection, uh, just using that service, are the films that I don't log just once in a two-year period, but this has been logged like three times. Wow. <laughs> so, so it is in uh, you know uh, a special section of Letterbox. Godfather just got its first watch on my Letterbox account. Simple favor, three times. I don't think my opinions really changed. I think there were certain plot elements that I didn't necessarily enjoy as much as just the banter and the trip to get there like once we get to the revelations uh and most of them are sort of well known by the almost all the characters involved for like the last half hour and then it's just sort of untangling the bullshit i think your mileage may vary on how much resolving uh the sort of mystery of this blake lively character is of interest to you or not uh my main uh, level of entertainment solely resides in her just kind of talking shit to Anna Kendrick and Anna Kendrick just trying to hang with her, just trying to be like the best damn sidekick she can be until inevitably she's like, fuck this person. I don't have to be anyone's sidekick anymore. <laughs> I can be my own thing, but I'm, I'm disappointed now because I feel like we're coming into this and you start the conversation saying, I once liked this. <laughs> now that I'm on a podcast about it, I do not. No longer do I enjoy A Simple Favor. Well, I watched it in theaters and had a grand time. And then it, as soon as it came out on home video, I immediately purchased it and watched it again and had a grand time. And this is the first time I've seen it since then. Maybe like a year, year and a half or so has gone by. 
And for whatever reason, those genres that Paul Feig is playing in that I was that I enjoyed so much really didn't mix that well with me this time around. And I'm trying to ascertain as to why that is. You've got B-level material, something that you would find in an airport bookstore where you can pick something smutty up and enjoy it on the plane and it'll it's essentially toss it when you get home. And you've got someone like Paul Feig who has never really done this material before on film. And I don't know if he is to, that's not necessarily blame, but maybe he's not able to elevate it to kind of A-level filmmaking. Though, And you mentioned Gone Girl. Gone Girl is a perfect example, perfect comparison. Because that also, B-level material, but in Fincher's hand, it becomes A-level filmmaking. So I'm not sure if Paul Feig has enough experience to do that. And then the reason that this film, even, even this time around, is still very entertaining for me. And I think the main reason is Blake Lively. She's just so unhinged, and it's wonderful to see. Absolutely wonderful. Every single scene. Her last line in the movie is, in your ass, I believe. Like, <laughs> that's how the character <laughs> exits into the credits. So, yes, yeah, she's, you know, I think most beautiful people beautiful actors in particular i guess if they have been pigeonholed into <laughs> carrying that great shame of being <laughs> one of the most attractive people on the planet tend to revel when they're allowed to play unlikable and she plays it so well that no matter how unlikable she aspires to be as a character or maybe as an actress playing a character it doesn't work <laughs> it doesn't take <laughs> I think we're just like the Anna Kendrick character even though we know that she's pathetic in some way uh, that she needs this affirmation from this withholding woman we also find ourselves like kind of wanting to, to hang out with uh, Lively as well so I don't know oh, about yeah. her I don't know about her choice in art of having <laughs> having a nude of herself <laughs> hanging on the wall <laughs> but so be it whatever can't imagine that exact same pose, that exact same angle, but myself. <laughs> like I, I, for whatever reason, I did think about that when that popped up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember this." And I thought, you know, "Like, could I, could I have the cojones?" <laughs> well, just based on the angle, you know, you get the male anatomy in with that sort of <laughs> up close and personal, and then the, the distortion of it as well. Uh, I have a feeling that your wife. Uh, would let you keep your uh, Hitchcock posters up on the wall if that was the alternative. <laughs> Which one, babe? <laughs> you got to pick one. Rope or this? I mentioned the different genres and how, for me, they didn't mix well. And I think that's most glaring, unfortunately, when Anna Kendrick is doing her shtick. 
the awkward comedy that she kind of does, uh, I feel like she's known for. It's kind of her trademark at this point. She even kind of busted out a little bit on up, uh, with Up in the Air. And then uh, her interactions with the other parents at school. There's a lot of that as well. And it really, I don't want to say it took me out of the film, but it really did stand out with the rest of the material. It felt like Paul Feig allowing the actress to kind of do her thing. And I don't think that he should have. I think Anna Kendrick is very good, very good in all of the more serious elements of this film when she is playing Nancy Drew. But then you've got that when she finally kind of figures everything out and she hatches the plan to kind of put Blake Lively's character in her place. And then you've got this brief interlude of her loudly singing along with, I think, De La Soul. I, I get it. Watch your words here, Webb, because uh, <laughs> I actually replayed that exact sequence for my wife, who also has seen this multiple times uh, with me, maybe even once on her own. <laughs> that sequence where she is singing along in her car, and um, even if you just have this pulled up on IMDb, that's one of the scrolling images with her making the the gun gesture with her hands as she's driving along her neighborhood that immediately follows uh, Blake Lively watching her now, you know, former sycophant now uh, nemesis uh, her, whatever the fake YouTube version they're using, but basically a YouTube uh, vlog to out some of her, her business in this great insurance fraud scheme, uh, life insurance policy with a twin sister uh, you're really getting into like soap opera territory here which I, yeah. I still have fun with Blake Lively uh, sees this curses uh, which she does often in the film and like th throws her laptop like off the bed uh, you know foiled by Kendrick you know, <laughs> and then we cut to Kendrick singing along to this you know I, I think it's meant to be Oh, we wouldn't expect her to be to know all these words like the sort of like uh, girl next door type thing. That's um, but that the combination of those two women back to back in that that sequence, pretty much my wife incarnate. Pretty much my my wife has a <laughs> has a filthy fucking mouth at times when she's angry, and then she can be an adorable and cute just singing along in the car. And uh, I got no argument from my wife. I, I okay. got like sort of a knowing nod of like, yeah, you've got me. But I'm like, hey, it's you, you know, but just split into two, two different, different women, the different sides of your personality. Uh, she would not be happy with me outing that she's got a filthy fucking mouth. On her, but <laughs> I'll just repeat that again. Well, I, well, first of all, I want to apologize. It was not Dale. So it was M.O.P. anti up. It's a good, it's a really good song. It's a song that I loved. I guess that I would say as an example of where I had some trouble with this film this time around. The you come across as a bully, Webb. It's Me? Like you, you just you just want to shove Anna Kendrick in a locker. Like you don't get to be cool in this. No. <laughs> You're just a dork. You'll always be a dork. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I didn't like her when she was a dork either. Though I don't like those elements either. It's when she's kind of playing it. It's when she's playing the material a little. As it is, for whatever reason, that's the stuff that I really like. I don't know why. The, the the comedy and the pulp and the seriousness, all of it did not gel for me this time around. And it's, re it's really frustrating me because despite all of that, this is still a super entertaining film. 
Like, I can't get away. I love this kind of smutty pulp. I really do. Absolutely. Sister killer, brother fucker, all that stuff is very entertaining. I was, I was about to throw you under the bus. Like, oh, so the brother fucker bits. Those work for you with Kendrick. You were, <laughs> you were all into that <laughs> that weird side kind of tangent we go on with her, her character. Which I'm sure plays better in, in book form. Um, <laughs> in the movie, it just seems like... It seems like it's just one more insult that Blake Lively can have holstered, ready to throw back in Kendrick's face. I was going to ask you, uh, not that it's similar in really any way to like Coen Brothers comedy, but you do see semi-serious subject matters, even in their broad comedies, like Raising Arizona, for one. You're kidnapping children. And the characters oftentimes are under threat of death or physical violence, especially Nicolas Cage <laughs> begging for his life and then apologizing for blowing up a man with a grenade. And <laughs> his own. Do you feel like in those films that they're more successful at balancing the broad humor with whatever weird reality, in particular in their crime comedies? And like Coen Brothers, probably more successfully in Fargo, which has that mixture of drama and, and broad comedy. I think so, because I think the type of comedy is different in those films versus in something like this. In those kind of films, the comedy comes from more of a classical sense of what comedy is, whereas in A Simple Favorite, you have that much more modern, awkward, post-office level of comedy, that kind. You also have like the the framing device of the YouTube videos and there's comedic elements in that. That that alone, uh, you know, a very obviously recent concept uh, of being Why? a YouTube celebrity. Let me ask you a question here. Why do filmmakers never use what YouTube creators re have relied on since pretty much the inception of, of the service? The jump cut for either effect or to cover the fact that this is not one interrupted monologue that they've had to do a retake they've messed up their words instead in a simple favor and numerous other films that use like a youtube streaming video it's always live and it's like whenever they have to make a cut it just glitches out or the internet connection gets fuzzy why are you telling me that this anna kendrick character stephanie smother she would not use jump cuts for effect like to do her to do a, a close-up on her face reacting to something of course she would, and Anna Kendrick could play it to the hill. That, that, that is actually you are attacking this film left and right, and it and it troubles me. Webb, <clears throat> that's the only thing I have to say against it is, if you're going to use YouTube, like make fun of the YouTube style that is already like kind of satire of itself. That the the way YouTubers talk and the way that they edit their videos. But no, if it's, I mean, this, there's, this might as well be using Netscape Navigator for her videos. <laughs> for, for this. Feig and company are just so out of touch with the internet as we all know it for the last 15 years. Well, it could be a replay of a live stream where there's like almost no editing. I think it would be odder if there were edits and, and close ups because then you know that she spent time editing that video. But that, that character would absolutely do that. There's no way she's really? so particular. She, I mean, she's got a, her own helium tank for for random birthday parties. <laughs> she's so, yes, I think she'd be on top of it.
She also uses the same exact uh, MacBook as me. I wanted to nerd out about that just a little bit. 12-inch MacBook in rose gold. Okay, we've established that Blake Lively is great. We've established that Anna Kendrick is great. Also great. Yes. Mostly. What about... It comes apart where you you hate Henry Golding, right? No, 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 no. But what did you think of Henry Golding? This was, this was very close to Crazy Rich Asians. I, I feel like he blew up. Uh, after that movie and then you kind of see him in several things and then the, obviously the pandemic happened what did you think of his performance because he does play that justin long in in drag me to hell side like the boyfriend <laughs> character or okay, okay. the girlfriend <laughs> character um first off he's a lot more attractive than justin long <laughs> yes uh, he is uh, yeah he's of got course. he's got a much better voice he is set dressing basically i think he is a uh quest object of sorts for the Anna Kendrick character and um, I think that offends Emily played by Blake Lively not only that after her supposed death that her best friend starts fucking her husband but that it's almost like she's offended that this would be anyone's like dream uh, guy and she's thinking that she's been slumming it in some way <laughs> with this guy who is incredibly handsome but is I don't know he's kind of dumb he's kind of uh, a dimwit in these these schemes for the most part and I like the shoe being on the other foot I like that he's just there as eye candy pretty much for these two ladies and really not much else uh, I, I don't think there's you, I don't think you can say he's a great father He's he seems to be kind of unaware or pleased when his child is with at least to him a complete stranger. He doesn't know <laughs> Anna Kendrick's character yet, but it's like, oh, you're watching my kid. I guess I should have sex with you just so I can feel more comfortable with <laughs> he being the babysitter, <laughs> complete stranger. His logic is twisted and yet justifiable in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. She becomes a fixture of that household and that family very quickly to the point where towards the end of the film you know, they're referring to Anna Kendrick's character as the best friend did they have enough interactions to be labeled as the best friend by that point um she invites herself to for a drink with Blake Lively I don't, I don't their, their first interaction is not what you would call warm but persistence is key Blake Lively. It doesn't. It would not work at all if you're a man. That would look incredibly creepy. Do you think that the film thinks that Kendrick is creepy here, or is Blake Lively so abrasive that it never really presents her as you know? This isn't necessarily like a Black Swan or All About Eve territory where it's you. I think you ever truly fear that Anna Kendrick is going to steal Blake Lively's life. <laughs> I think she. <laughs> it feels like she's renting it, perhaps as a late fee. 
but eventually Lively is going to come back to town and, uh, you know, there'll be no concern there. I don't think she is. And even if she is creepy, you've got the brother fucker story <laughs> where they end up kissing. I've tried, to, I've tried to avoid that subplot because I think it requires too much explanation. And I don't I don't really know what purpose it serves in the film. But you you no, keep coming I... back to it. when? <laughs> well, because it really it's knee deep into that smuttiness that I really look for look forward to in these kind of pictures <laughs> the stuff that brian de palma is like no i'm gonna i'm gonna explore this and that backstory allows anna kendrick's character to be a little bit creepy and a little unhinged under the surface as well like she's also capable of being as as a bit of a loose cannon as blake lively right, is so you kind of like believe get, it by the end you're getting a little too smutty there with your language like <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I absolutely think they can. Now, here's the thing. I think that Paul Feig is excellent. I th- I love his filmography. I really do. Uh, e- even though this time I wasn't in love with this film, I, I think that he is a very knowledgeable and very entertaining personality. In Last Christmas, <laughs> you've got the uh, main character's family like watching the Black Adder Christmas special in the background, and I was like, "Oh, that is an active decision by Paul Feig to make sure that Black Adder, one of my favorite TV shows, if not, who I hesitate to label anything my favorite of all time, because you know it's so subjective, and on a particular day you might be like, I'm in the mood for this, and this is my favorite today, but Black Adder, if I had to." put one uh, TV show as greatest of all time, it would be Black Adder. And I love that. I love the fact that he gives a shout out to Diabolique, the ultimate Hitchcock film that was never a Hitchcock film. Uh, Clouseau made the film and <laughs> Hitchcock was so annoyed because he really wanted the rights to that film, but Clouseau beat him to it. So that was great. And so I, I love that scene where she rushes into his, uh, Henry Golding's, office at 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 his university is like are you trying to diabolique me and i wish that she hadn't explained it right after like oh here's that movie it's like i get it man i get it you don't have to go into it it's cool not everybody in the audience is as cool as me and that's okay it's just and then there's some in the audience they're like isn't that that sharon stone movie from the mid <laughs> oh no <laughs> That's right, it did get a you remake. You, there's probably a good uh, minute of you talking about Di- Diabolique where I was waiting for my pitch to hit, and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to nail him on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, hey, you know what? That's that's A-OK. If the audience <laughs> goes to that, that Diabolique, all right, we're all still laughing, we're all still having a good time, but then it's, it's extra special because I know Paul Feig means the the old french thriller so i'm gonna find an right. interview where he's actually talks about like i love what stone and what chaz <laughs> Terry did <laughs> that's exactly what i was talking about if i could if i could find those words i will i will have them read to you on, the, on this podcast 